Welcome to Deconstructing a Fairy Tale, embarrassingly in-depth thoughts about Disney movies from two Disney parents. And fans. I am your host, Jared. And I'm Jill. And today is special because we actually are joined by a guest host, Andrew Belcher, my brother. <laughs> Welcome, Andrew. Hello. Thank you for uh, inviting me to your podcast. We're going to discuss Turning Red, the new Pixar film. And we thought reaching out to my brother was actually the perfect, uh, is the perfect opportunity because Andrew's actually an animation student at MTSU studying, what would, would you call it, 3D animation? Yeah, I would say 3D that, animation is my focus. Okay, so give us your accolades. Tell us what, what you do, what your interest is in animation, what you know, all of it. Okay, so basically my animation uh, interests are in film. So like Pixar, Disney, I want to make 3D films. Um, any animations like Turning Red. So I have actually made a couple of short films. I'm only a freshman, so I don't have that much experience with the overall animation field, but I have lots of per- like personal, interested, focused animation. We're going to get to this, but Turning Red has some really interesting animation technical elements to it and stylistic choices that Andy will help us to explore. So... Let's dive into Turning Red. Before we go any further, though, I do want to give a quick disclaimer. Um, We don't really know what we're going to be talking about with this episode, but there's a chance we're going to touch on some mature subjects. Um, Just because this movie is about puberty, and so we want to be able to talk openly about some of those topics that the movie might be trying to address. Uh, This is just a, a warning for any kids that might be listening. This might be a more mature episode. Uh, It's a cartoon, but our subject today, it it covers a lot. It covers a lot of adult themes. So that's our disclaimer. Uh, And of course, as always, spoilers. This movie just came out on Disney Plus as of the date of this recording. It's only three days old. Um, So let's talk about Turning Red. Here's a quick overview. Uh, So in Turning Red, we're going to journey to Canada to meet Maylin Lee, a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian student who one day discovers that whenever she gets too excited or too stressed, she turns into a giant red panda. and But she can turn back if she becomes calm. This condition turns out to be linked to her ancestors, who have a shared history with the species as a family curse, but the curse can be contained by performing a special ritual on one specific night, which, to May's luck, coincides with a concert of her favorite boy band. All of this, of course, as she deals with everything that puberty throws her way so this movie just came out uh it was made by uh pixar um, but it was produced by or it was released by disney and so we're going to talk today about uh, not only the content of this movie but of course what is the meaning behind it what and there's we think there's a lot of meaning here that we're going to dive into uh we're going to start with where we always start with and that's our fast facts so jill has, I think, the least fast facts, least number of fast I facts do. today. Yeah. Uh, I think Andy and I have a lot. So, Jill, why don't you go ahead and say one of yours? Yeah, my fast fact. You only have one? I have one. Okay. Let's, um, let's hear it. And I'm not even sure if it's correct, actually. But this Love is the, the second Pixar film to be directed by a woman. Oh. The first one being Brave. Really? I have my fast facts actually similar to yours, my first one. In that she was like the first solely with directed by women, because I also mm-hmm. found the same thing. Okay. So I think yeah. I think you're correct, Jewel, in saying that because that's something I found as well. 
So okay. hopefully give you some more confidence about Perfect. that. Perfect. Because thank you. Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, it's a good direction to go. We're going to talk a lot about the writer-director of this film. So we're going to talk a lot about the writer-director of this movie, Domi Shi. Um, and, and a lot of our fast facts, I think, related are related to Domi. Uh, she seems like an amazing woman. Um, so my first fast fact is about her. She was rejected from the Pixar internship program in 2010. So as a college student, she applied for the Pixar internship program, w- was denied, kind of discouraged about that. And her dad, who was an uh, art teacher in high school, uh, said, you know what? You need to reapply. You need to try again this next year. I think it sounded like she didn't really want to. And so she did. She applied in 2011 and then was accepted as a storyboard intern. And so now here we are, you know, not that long after. 11 years later, she went from a storyboard intern to writer-director of a feature-length animation film. It was pretty cool. Wow. And I'm glad. And, you know, that's the kind of dad you want to be, right? Who, hey, try again. I know th- I know you got rejected. Try again. Something good might come out of it. Yeah, that's that's so inspiring. Like, that's such a persevering story. Um, my fast fact is also about Domi Shi. Um, she may also be known from directing a short film called Bao. Bao. Um, a similar story to Turning Red about a Chinese mother who wants a second chance at parenting so one of her dumplings comes to life. Um, it's an amazing little short film, but it's actually the first thing she directed for Pixar. My next fact, also about Domi Shi, uh, so her story development styles, like the way that she uh, lands on a story and begins to craft it, is actually to start with the visuals. So, she, you know, think about it. She's coming from the perspective of an artist. She's a storyboard artist, right? So she's actually worked on five or six Pixar films already um, as a storyboard artist. That's her, that's her like mindset, right? That's her mentality is artwork. So she actually starts with the visuals she wants to achieve. So uh, like she might imagine, hey, it'd be really cool to have a shot of this giant red panda sitting on top of a roof looking at the Canadian skyline. And that's like the thing in her head. And then she goes, okay, how do we achieve that in the story? Uh, which is really different than how most writers work. Um, and, th- and most writers will tell you, you know, it's story, 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 like work out your characters, work out your plot. Um, but her approach is actually the visuals, which speaks a lot to why this is maybe like some people might even call it a visual overload of a movie. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see that because that's actually, my next fast fact is actually about the style. So the animation was inspired by anime, actually. Um, so they were like trying to blend 2D and 3D styles together. Um, so Domi she's stated that she was inspired by Pokemon and Sailor Moon. Um, and the anime style comes from inspiration she saw in her childhood. Um, so the, the challenge with blending the styles can be that two dimensions is relatively to get lots of expressions and movement from a character, and it look natural, it look okay. Um, but with three dimensions, that changes a lot. So, like, you can't get as much exaggeration out of it without it looking off or freaky, um, so it's a lot more difficult to, to translate that from 2D to 3D. Um, yeah, because, I mean, you think about it, like, so much of 3D animation is about realism. Yeah. You know, we watched Toy Story 4 the other day. It's amazing how real some of the shots in like, they look like they were actually filmed with a real camera, and they weren't animated at all. So imagine, you know, trying to stretch, like, the character of Andy making his face like contort and stretch yeah. when he's shocked 
it would because he looks real it would look disgusting it would would be like oh (laughs) right it would freak you out so but in anime it's like you're saying it's 2d so you can get away with that stuff and people do it in 2d all the time so that does explain why this movie looks more like looney tunes-esque like cartoony even though it's still in 3d because they can they can then blend those two styles, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's really it's really interesting. I don't know if you even noticed, but um, I mean, it's pretty noticeable. But the characters' eyes, whenever they get excited about something, will actually grow and like sparkle whenever something happens. Yeah, yeah, which is such an anime thing to include. But it's really interesting yeah. nod to how they actually like do anime. So I thought that was a nice little detail. It's also a good example of where Pixar is unique in that they really do let their artists drive the style of the films. So you're going to see, depending on which movie you're, you're watching, it's going to seem visually very different because it's so reflective of the lead you know, story artist of that film, like what their preference is and, and what their styles are. And you don't get to see that expression from large corporations. Like, you don't even get to see that in Disney animation. Disney animation is traditional, like, in terms of, like, the style, they're pretty by the books. So it makes Pixar unique in a really cool way. My next fast fact is, uh, okay, so we're going to talk about this band that's in the movie a lot, I think, today. Four Town is a boy band that drives quite a bit of the plot. They wrote real songs for this boy band in in the movie that are so convincing like Jill and I grew up in the 90s like we both liked listening to these boy bands and like they sound like they came out of the late 90s early 2000s in, in, in such a convincing way but they the songs for this boy, boy band were written by none other than Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas O'Connell which I mean Billie Eilish well Billie and Phineas incredible musicians incredible artists really prodigies i would say of our time and uh the fact that they were able billy eilish was born in 2001 so like this style of music predates her and yet this it's so convincing and phineas actually voices one of the boys in the band is a pretty cool pretty cool fact wow that is so impressive and also such a cool detail i I loved the whole music thing with them. I thought, it, like, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in that time. Um, I'm a two, 2003 child, so I am only 19. So I, ha- I haven't had the 90s boy band experience like everyone else has. But I've listened to my fair share of NSYNC, and that's that's really close to what NSYNC sounds like in my memory. Totally. NSYNC, uh, boys to Men, Backstreet Boys, 98 Degrees. It was sort of all of it mashed together. It's wild. My next fast fact is actually it's about music again. But there, so there's this ritual that uh, the family does. The aunties and the grandmother perform. They draw a circle and they have this song that they chant. I assumed that the song was in Mandarin because they're a Chinese family. Mandarin is the most commonly spoken language in China. Um, it's the song, the chant that they're, they're singing uh, was written just for this movie, and it's in Cantonese. So Cantonese is, it's, I mean, by number of people, about 90 million people speak it. So that's like a lot of people. But by percentage of China, it's only about... It's less than one in ten people in China can speak Cantonese. It's more common in like southeastern China, so think like Hong Kong. Um, but that 
gives us an indication of where the family is actually from, like what part of China they have originated, they have immigrated from to Canada. Um, and the Cantonese song is actually, a, it's like a real poem that was written specifically for this scene. They originally thought, we'll take an existing religious chant and we'll just put it in the movie and it'll be familiar to people. But they thought this is such a specific uh, you know, a ceremony <laughs> trying to capture the red panda spirits is so like unique to this family. They, they deserve their own song. So they actually hired some employees of Disney from the Hong Kong area who spoke Cantonese uh, to write the chant. And I don't speak Cantonese, but apparently uh, it does, it translates. And there have been quite a few people who've seen the movie and posted online like, oh my gosh, like this is so. It's so amazing because it's like real lyrics that actually apply to the scene, which is pretty. It's, again, Pixar is all about those details. It's a cool little detail. Yes, I love Pixar's attention to detail. They're so good at that. Uh, my next fast fact is also about their details, actually. So May in panda form had very short legs compared to her relatively large body. Um, so this brought a unique animation challenge, as the fur and movement of the legs were like difficult to get right. Um, fur in animation is very meticulous and it needs to be just right because if it's done wrong the animal will appear different than intended like they'll be less believable or they'll take you out of their immersion they'll look i don't know mangy their fur could be matted um something could be off with it and you just notice right away so what they had to do is like rig the character because rigging in animation is like similar to how you make a marionette like if you have a puppet you have the strings you attach the strings to the puppet that's what rigging is. You're just attaching, like, digital strings to a 3D model, which is just a digital puppet. So, like, when rigging the model for May in her panda form, they had to, like, figure out unique ways for the legs to bend correctly so that the fur could also move correctly, which is a very difficult and unique issue to this movie. Yeah, I have two more fast facts. Um, my next one is that Maymay's color palette is red. So everything she wears is red. If you notice like her clothing, even before she becomes the panda, it's like always, if it's not just totally red shirt and pants, it's red accents, a red, she wears a red beanie a lot. And then of course she becomes the red panda, but it's always red. Her palette's always red. By contrast, her mom is always wearing emerald green. And so those are diametrically opposed colors. If you look at like a color wheel, um, that's going to be colors separated by about uh, 45 degrees, um, which means they're, they're sort of at odds with each other. So Pixar is using a color palette to show that Maymay and her mom are not in sync. They're not on the same page. They're actually a little bit opposed, which is, again, great little detail. Yeah, that's a really cool detail. Um, Super cool. Yeah, I like how all of the characters actually have a color associated with their like personalities. Um, yeah. Like one I thought about was um, Priya, where it's like a muted yellow and brown. Yeah, she's like the more yeah. relaxed and easygoing of the rest of them. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I have one more fast fact. My last fast fact um, is more about the story, the plot. So uh, Malin's goal is not to save the world uh, or even to save herself. Her goal in this movie is to see a concert, which is one of the lowest stakes goals for any Pixar character ever that I can think of, um, which we'll get into this. 
I think was a really great choice because it's much more, that element is much more grounded in reality. Like what an eighth grade girl's actual goal is might be to see a boy band concert and not to, you know, save the world or uh, save herself or save a loved one. That's, you know, that's more the space for fiction. And this is much more rooted in reality, that motivation. I had not even thought about that, but that's really accurate. So my last fast fact, Pixar usually innovates some sort of technology for whatever movie they're working on. With certain movies like Nemo, they had to figure out fun ways to create like underwater scenes to make it look realistic and believable while also showing the characters and their colors in underwater environments. Um, For Monsters, Inc., it was hair because they had to figure out how to use hair on Sully who is their most hairy character they ever used before. Um, so they had to put millions of hairs on Sully by hand, which was a painful process, but they figured it out, and now they're really good at hair. Um, so this Pixar movie introduced a new technology called um, inclusive technology. And this technology scans images inside the movie and makes sure that diversity is included in each frame. So in the background, like, you can even see there's a kid with an insulin pump at one point, um, which I think is a really, really cool detail. That's amazing. Yeah, and we should talk, we've touched on this with Raya. You know, part of the value in in including diversity in, in all forms, like you're even saying, like having someone who has diabetes in the film, is so that kids particularly can see themselves in the movie. You know, they don't feel like the movie was made for somebody else. That they can watch a movie and go... Oh yeah, like that's like that's like me. Oh my gosh, like I have an insulin pump. Uh, so that's really cool. I did not know that. That's an amazing fact. All right, let's talk about first impressions. Uh, I'm so excited. I'm looking at Jill. <laughs> Andy and I have talked a lot. Jill, tell us about your first impressions. Um, yeah, I'm not. I wasn't really a fan. I went into it thinking I'm not sure about this, but that's normally how I go into most Pixar films. Like. What is this even about? A rat cooking? An old man in a balloon house? Like, Coco, I was like, that's going to be bad, whatever. Um, So that didn't really mean much to me. But as the movie started, probably the first minute, I was like, I don't think this is going to be very good. Yeah. Is kind of how I felt. Um, I did feel bad. I, like, know people worked really hard on this. And I did enjoy that it was not this super sad, I need to cry and have a lot of feelings. I mean, it was still emotional and still had a lot of deep thoughts. We watched the behind the scenes and I I felt like, okay, maybe I like it a little more. Sure. Yeah, my first impression, not good. Not good. Andy, what about you? Well, I went into it uh, thinking that it would be okay. And I came out feeling justified for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) okay it was okay like I I think it had a really good energy and um, like a really cool environment I liked the style of it Um, I I think the characters were interesting if not like super good Um, and I enjoyed the story for the most part but there were just some things that I was just like ah maybe not so I thought it was okay I think what helped me going into it was from the trailer you could tell this was going to be different like this is going to be different than like maybe the formulaic Pixar film so I think my expectations, I had internally modified those. It's going to be more like anime. It's going to be very colorful and probably a little bit wild. And it's going to be a little bit more dramatized, you know, especially with characters than I'm accustomed to. 
um, that really helped set the correct tone for myself because it really is stylistically different. Like you, you anime is a really probably the best way to frame it. You get loud colors, um, you know, very uh, vibrant emotions on characters' faces. Like you talked about the twinkling eyes, the giant eyes, yeah. and stuff like that. Or like when characters like get mad and scream, it sort of becomes like comic booky, and like the background like turns into shooting lines and stuff like that, or firework kind of designs. So it's stylistically very different, and I knew that from the trailer, and that helped me kind of reset my expectations. All that being said, though, I also agreed there were parts of the movie I really liked, and yet it's not really my favorite. It like we watched it, and I was like, okay, that was good, but it's not really a movie I really want to rewatch. Like, maybe ever. Yeah. Um, but certainly not the kind of movie you want to go back to again and again and again, as is the case for me with most Pixar films. Yeah, I agree. I did not feel like I'm going to watch this a lot of times. Like, I will not be in my dorm room thinking, well, maybe should I watch today and think of Turning Red. I will think oh, of somebody else. Turning Red. Yeah, it'll be something else. So, no, I agree. Yeah. Well, and, and so I think part of that is we'll get into this my first impression also was like this is clearly about puberty like it is explicitly at times you know so there's a moment when Meme first turns into the panda and her mom is thinking that she's had her first period and so the mom starts making like very like you know uncomfortable comments to Meme, and that's the point like it's meant to be cringy and for the like you know, as the daughter, you're like, mom, stop talking. Like, I do not want you to say these things to me. Like, that's the whole point. But the whole movie is about the, the awkwardness of puberty. Um, so like Joe mentioned, we watched the behind the scenes documentary that is really good. Disney made it's on Disney plus now where Domishi talks about how, uh, this whole thing for her, was how do I reframe puberty for a, a girl? An eighth grade girl, you, you suddenly get smelly, you get hairy, you feel ugly, you notice every flaw in yourself, you feel awkward, you're suddenly attracted to boys, you don't know what to do with that, you don't know why. It's an awkward time. And if you put that to film, it's gonna be cringy. It's gonna be awkward. So I kind of wondered, is it that I don't want to watch this? In part because... That's an uncomfortable time, and it's an uncomfortable subject that, like, we all have gone through, and we do not care to revisit. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it rem- I think it reminds us maybe too much of reality, and oftentimes we're looking to entertainment for an escape. We're looking to, like, leave some of those awkwardness in our actual lives behind, and this brings it up. That's true. Yeah, I did write. I did write type out, like... Maybe it's, in fact, too relatable, yeah. like, to handle. Like, maybe it's, like... It also feels like, for me, it felt like a the best version of something they would show in middle school health class. Like, <laughs> this is what's going to... You know, like, whatever. You're, you're about your changing body. You change your body or, like, your relationship with your parents and your friends. And so, like, it felt like that. So, it's like I I... Usually these movies grow on on me in time, and I don't know that this one will. Like I said, I, I just, I can appreciate it, and I can appreciate the, like, 
it's different and that's risky and Pixar is good at the risks and the like mm. doing things differently. And so I appreciate that, but it's like, I, I don't really want to watch this again. Cause Any more than I want to go back to middle school again. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would probably want to go back to middle school before <laughs> I, I'm just wow. kidding. <laughs> probably not, but. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I, I think that it, I mean, this is the first Disney movie to mention menstruation, right? Like that in should itself. That should have been a fast fact. You're right. It should have been your fast fact. That in itself is uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about. It probably shouldn't be, but it is. And so I think, you know, the like all the subjects this movie is intentionally trying to tackle, they're just awkward. Yeah. It's just yeah. uncomfortable. And I think we might talk about this later, but this is not like a kid's movie. This is a... Like a preteen a t- teen movie? Pre- like preteen adult movie. You know, like it's not... Like, like, there our are, four, like if we had a four-year-old, yeah. like it's not... Like he might like the red panda part. <laughs> right. But like I, I don't want him to... I, actually, I would not want... Like if I have a teenager, I'm watching this with her and then we're debriefing afterwards. Like, you don't want any child to mimic sort of that behavior that you're seeing as a preteen on film yeah that's right no so i think that's kind of like uh, that's a lot for our first impressions but that's probably a good summary like we had kind of a mixed bag like jill and i liked it but also didn't like it like we can appreciate it but we're good not seeing it again not revisiting it Mm -hmm. and probably not one for the kids So let's talk about what, what you guys liked about the movie. Let's start with some positives. What did you like about this movie, Jill? You have to go first. I, everything to do with Four Town. That yeah. made the movie, like, if that wasn't in the movie, I would be like, <laughs> this. Like, like, music, the part where they're at the concert. I mean, it's spot on. It's basically in sync. I, so I loved that. Um, I love that both the parents are involved. <laughs> no parents are dead. Yeah. Um, and the friends are fun. I love the inclusion of the Tamagotchi. Oh, yeah. Did you have a Tamagotchi? I did. I but did it was too. like first grade. They were like outlawed <laughs> at our school eventually. <laughs> so yeah. that would not have been 2002, but... Yeah, I had a Tamagotchi that was, get this, a Toy Story-themed Tamagotchi oh, from Toys R Us. I wish... We you can't get much those. more 90s than that. So here's one of the things I liked about this movie. I just like that it was different. Jill and I were talking about, we have this pop-up book at our house of, like, all these different Pixar movies. And, like, you turn the spread and it'll have four Pixar movies on one spread where they have a pop-up for the movie. And it takes you through the decades or through the years. Um, and there's, like, one spread you get to. And it's, like, all four movies on the spread are awful. Right? There, it's, like, Cars 2. Monsters University. Monsters University. The Good Dinosaur. Yeah. And you're like, oh, the what dark ages. Here? Yeah, <laughs> and like it really does feel like since Disney acquired Pixar, the number of original stories that have been allowed to come to the surface and actually get released has been so few. There've been so many sequels and prequels and spinoffs, and we're about to get Lightyear, which I think will probably be a good movie, but again, not an original idea. Like it's a spinoff from Toy Story, so it's nice to see something that's original. I just really was glad, like, this is a new story. And we'll talk about this in a second. It, it is derivative. I think it's very derivative of Pixar's own work. But the context was d- unique. The characters are unique. So I appreciated that. Yeah, 
I, I agree. I like the uniqueness of it. It's nice. It's refreshing to have, like, a new thing come out. Because I feel like most things now are just sequels of other things. Even not even just within Pixar, but just movies in general. I feel like yeah. it's just sequels. Marvel, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's nice to have and an original story. I mean, I think as much as this movie is about a teenager going through puberty, it's also about parents who have a teenager going through puberty. And I loved that. I love that it, like, showed that parenting is messy, that it's really hard to parent, and no one really knows what they're doing. Especially, like, at first, you know, Meme is an only child. They're fr- it's um, Ming and Jin's first time going through this. And they don't really know what they're doing. And you can see how scared Ming is. Like, she's so scared she's going to mess up her daughter. She's, you know, she's so scared that her mom, Ming's mom, parented her perfectly and what if i don't what if i don't parent in the same way what if i mess up my daughter even though my mom didn't mess up me and so there's this pressure that even ming is feeling and it's so relatable like we we have a two-year-old and a infant so like this like teenage narrative is really distant for us and yet already we recognize every day how daunting parenting is and like with a toddler, they're basically just like the first version of a teenager, right? Throwing tantrums all the time, always going their own way, very stubborn, um, going through a lot of changes. And we're constantly like, what do we do? <laughs> and it's messy. And so I really appreciated just the honesty of that. And as a parent, I could imagine, especially we're talking about like parents that we know who have teenagers, I think watching this would be humorous to you because you'd be like, oh my gosh, yes, I know exactly what this feels like. I relate so hard to this. So I love that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I did also like when her dad like sits down and talks with her. It's like, has your mom talked to you about her panda? You know, like, yeah, that I thought that was sweet. Yeah. I liked the ending when um, May sees her mom in, like, the spirit realm or wherever that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the mom's young, and she seems so un- unsure of herself. And, like, I think that's really cool and a really interesting detail to add. Like, how her whole life she's had no idea, like, who she is, I guess. Or, like, yeah. she wants to be just perfect. Um, and that strive for perfection has driven her to want perfection within herself but also within her family and i think that's really cool that like it shows her through the years as she's trying to be the perfect child um so i read that moment it was the closest moment to making me cry so like almost almost got there not quite but it was still a nice like little moment they included yeah and i love uh that ming when when she's the teenager in the spirit world that she's saying the same things that may may was saying like my mom doesn't get it like i'm trying so hard to be perfect and i'm you know i want to be my own person but she doesn't listen she doesn't care it's like the same stuff that may may is saying uh which again painfully relatable right you're like ah yes i know exactly what that's like um, but how beautiful it is when you're able to see your parent in that empathetic light and you're like, oh, you're, you're not the villain. Actually, you're a lot more like me than I realized. And that, what we're seeing there is like empathy at work and they're using this, you know, metaphor of the spirit world to achieve that. I really like that too. Yeah. I, I like, that was good. And, uh, I agree with you, Andy, the friends, like, 
when they're like, oh, cool, you're a red panda, whatever. Like, you know, like it was... Unfazed. Un- yeah. And so um, I, I like that. I thought those were those were my moments. All right, favorite character. Do you guys have a favorite character? Jill, you first. Uh, my favorite character are the Four Town Band. The Four Town Band, which there are five of them. Yeah. Which I love. Um, I just thought they're really funny. Yeah. And I liked them a lot. Yeah. Um, maybe one of the friends, I don't know, but I just felt like I liked the Four Town the best. Yeah. Um, also, also I kind of liked, what's his name, Tyler. Tyler? I did too. <laughs> yeah, he was like presented uh, to this bully, but you, you kind of fell for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've already said mine. Mine's Jen, her dad. I also love that he cooks for the family. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that scene. It's like a very dramatic slow motion up close scene with the food. Oh, yeah, that oh, was yeah, a that really was good scene. Makes it like, look like he's like this epic chef. Yeah. yeah. And then he like wipes his glasses. Uh, I just thought that was cool. Yeah, that was It's like such a dad kind of moment. I couldn't decide for my favorite character. I was in between um, Miriam and Jen. Um, mm. Yeah. Completely different, complete opposites, really. Because one's energetic and crazy, and one's like quiet but supportive. Um, but I think I'm leaning towards more towards Jen than Miriam. Um, more because yeah. I think he had more of a positive impact on MA's life instead of like telling her to rebel. Um, He's like, I will love you in any way. So, like, yeah. I think that gives her less cause to rebel. So then makes it a lot better, like, healthy for her mentally. Um, so, yeah, I'd do a lot more, yeah. I think. All right. So I have a question for you guys. What concert would you risk turning into a red panda to go to? You have to pick one. You can't say none. You have to pick wow. a concert that you're like, I would risk turning into a giant red panda for them. That's a hard one. Um, that is hard because part of my thing with this movie is like, is this really worth it? But it's like, you have to think about an eighth grade girl. Yeah, that's right. You know? Yeah. It's such a hard question. I think I might say uh, need to breathe. I don't know. That's just the, the first one that came in my head. So like, I don't know for sure. Uh, I'd say Coldplay. Ooh. I still haven't seen Coldplay. I really, really want to. And I'm running out of time. I'm not sure how much longer they're they're gonna be a band. They've been a band forever. For a very long like, time. Since I was born. Yeah. I probably would be more entitled to something if it was like a musical. Oh yeah. Okay, pick Instead. a musical. Hamilton? Yeah. Hamilton. Maybe Hamilton. Nice. It's a good choice. Hamilton's good. I, I was dancing, but I've been to four of their concerts. Wow. <laughs> If, you if, did relate to okay. Hard listen, movie. if InSync had a reunion tour, uh-huh. well, oh, done, done. That's my answer. <laughs> With all five of them. All right, let's let's actually shift things a little bit. Let's talk about what we didn't like in the movie because I think we're gonna spend some time here. Jill, you did not like this movie, and there's no. a lot about it you don't like. Yeah. Give Give me the details. Tell me about it. Yeah, I I know. Here's what's hard. I know that the parents are, like, thinking they're doing their, the best for her. But I'm just like, why Why put her in there? She's, she's just found out she turns into a red panda when she's upset. Yeah. And you take away everything in her room except a bed. And so now she's alone in this empty bedroom. Yeah. Like, no, God, no, no. 
Which, again, that's, like, probably not against the movie. That's probably just more of, like, that's how it would be. And so yeah. I, I probably am casting, like, frustrations with the parents yeah. on the movie when, in reality, it this is reality and it's, the movie's just portraying that. So you're really critiquing parenting choices. Right, yeah. yeah. So I think that's where maybe, like, not a fair evaluation for the movie. Right. Um, it's like Frozen. We watched Frozen the other yeah. day because it snowed here. Yeah. And it's like it's, the parents in Frozen, it's like, you do, like, do not teach any parenting classes. Yeah. Like, you they guys like are block not good at Elsa this. Elsa in her room and are like, conceal, don't feel. Yeah. Yeah. What? And, like, and they're like, Elsa, what did you do? Yeah. And it's like, no, what have you this done? is not good. Okay. So, but, yeah, it's a common Disney thing, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I know I'm going to make a lot of mistakes as a mom. So there's that. The whole, like, I get to do whatever I want because I'm 13 and I can decide whatever. Mm-hmm. That just feels like really an entitled thing. And it feels like a lo- it's not really talking about a red panda, you know. It's talking more about, like, I'm going to do whatever I want and you need to accept me. I would say, like, one of the things for me is it's pretty derivative from other Pixar films. If you think about the different elements of this movie, her breaking away from her parents, being disobedient to her parents at some points, and hiding things about herself from her parents so that she can be her own person, uh, I think that was done better in Luca. Like, that's what Luca is, and I think Mm -hmm. it was done actually better with that movie. Um, If you think about, like, the relationship tension between her and her mom... I think that was done better in Brave between Mirada and and her mom, uh, the queen, and then having an overprotective parent. I think that was way better in Finding Nemo with Marlon being overprotective of Nemo um, because you understood early on in Finding Nemo, for example, why Marlon was the way that he was, and it was done in such a, like, realistic way. Like... So there's a moment in um, Turning Red when Ming is watching Mei Mei through the window at the school uh, classroom, like, with binoculars hiding behind a tree, and, like, she kicks the security guard, which feels so out of character for a woman who tries to be perfect, that she would kick a security guard who's being very reasonable with her. And then she, like, from outside is like, I brought your maxi pads. Like... What the window is closed? What did you? Ex- how are you going to get those to her? Like it was like very cartoony to me yeah. in those moments where they were trying to show, look how overprotective this mom is. Whereas like Marlin is like, hey, I'd actually feel better if you didn't go play with the, those kids who are your age. I'd rather you go play in the toddler area. That's like very relatable. Like mm-hmm. that's like parents how helicopter parents actually are. So again, I just thought like so much of this movie the elements that were pretty good were just done better in other Pixar movies. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, I think for me, I didn't really feel, like, super invested in the climax that much. Like, the most important part of the film, I didn't feel that invested in. Part of that might be because I can't really relate to anything that's happening in the movie. Like, it's not for me, so I'm not, like, as invested in what happens in the end, I guess. And I think that was part of, when we watched the documentary with Domi Shi, she was talking about the complications for right. an immigrant family 
when you move to somewhere and like your family expects you to hold on tightly to your traditions and your culture that you yeah. came from, but you're so excited and like you're growing up in this new culture that you really like. So Domichi, like this, I mean, hopefully you know this, like it's, this is her story in large part, not the red panda part, but like everything else, this was her experience growing up in Canada, coming from a Chinese family and working in the temple, all of that. And her, um, you know, she shared my mom was really frustrated that I was embracing so much of this Western North American culture, uh, and that she really wanted me to be more Chinese. And that tension between immigrant families, especially with kids, I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to that. It's not one that we right, relate to. Right. It's not our, it's not experience that we've had. Um, but like, that's great. It's great that like, uh, this is maybe for other people in that regard. Yeah. 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 I really liked the metaphor of the red panda serving as a, as a really interesting metaphor for puberty, but there were moments for me where it stepped into problematic territory, like spaces where I was not super excited. Like, uh, this is maybe not okay. Yeah. Or at least it's not the way that I, I would want to present, you know? Um, so like one of those, for example, was, uh, I think a lot of it was standing in for sexual freedom for a teenager, which, I mean, we can, people will debate that, right? Like, we can have a debate about what what's good, what's bad, all of that. But there were moments where it felt like it was getting into, like, exploit territory. Mm-hmm. So, like, she is selling photos of herself to, like, boys in the school to make money for this concert. And I don't know what that metaphor is supposed to match to that's anything that's positive. Like, if a girl were selling photos of her body to boys in a school, like, I think most people would condemn that pretty quickly. Like, that's creepy. That's, you know, that's like these boys taking advantage of this girl. Um, I don't know. And so, like, that was, that was not, I didn't, there were moments like that where the metaphor for me started to get into territory I thought was unhealthy. Yeah, I didn't... I felt that way, too. Like, okay, yeah, this is about puberty, but it's really, like, other stuff. And that's where I was like, I don't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the the picture thing. There's, like, this moment of, like... You kind of see, like, a sexual awakening in her when she's under the bed drawing the sexy pictures, she calls them, of the merman. And it's it's a little uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And it's clearly filmed to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? But again, it's like this is a this is a cartoon. Yeah, it's yeah, a kids it, movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I adult. think it's like those things were not like this is not enjoyable to watch. This is strange to me. Uh, maybe I don't know. I never did that. You never drew shirtless mermen. I didn't. <laughs> it's weird. I know, but. To me, that that felt like closer to a metaphor for like pornography. Yeah. yeah. Which again, okay, eighth grader, like that is the that is the experience. Yes, yeah. but not something I like really wanted to watch a movie about. Yeah. Right. Like, it, and that's why it's like this is again like uh, why would I watch this again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are movies to like challenge you. Like, I'm certainly for challenging right. movies, but I don't want that in a kids film. Like. I don't want to watch kid film, kids film and have, like, a metaphor about child pornography or, like, child going through pornography. Like, I'm... That's a part where I just get uncomfortable with. 
I'm like, this is not okay. I don't, I don't like yeah. this. There's a couple moments where, uh, like she can't control like the fact that she's like excited, like by these boys that she's attracted to. Mm-hmm. And like, because she's in the panda form, it's just like all her emotions are like on display and it's a little uncomfortable like to watch like yeah. um her seeing the guy like in the deli mart or whatever mm-hmm. um stuff like that where it's like uh, like you've said this is maybe internally ex- an experience of any eighth grader but i don't really want to watch a movie like highlighting those features yeah. yeah there's a line like at the end that's like my panda my choice mm-hmm. Which is really sort of that championing, like, I get to do what I want with my body when I want to. Um, which is both, like, a nod to, I would say, like, pro-choice um, views on, like, women's health and abortion. But then also uh, just sex in general. And this is a 13-year-old. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, health class movie middle <laughs> right. school right i kind of like have my hands thrown up about this movie because i was talking to jill last night i think a lot of the things that i don't like about the metaphor i am bringing in my interpretation mm-hmm. because the movie itself okay for example the movie is, does not have pornography in it mm-hmm. like let's just be really clear right. it doesn't it doesn't it does not talk about sex mm-hmm. um the closest it gets to is acknowledging that Girls have periods, which is like, that's just a fact of life. Right. We shouldn't be that uncomfortable by that. It's just a fact. Um, but the interpretation we bring really does matter. Mm-hmm. I think if our toddler son watched this movie, it would be fine. Yeah. Like, there are things, that behaviors he might pick up about how she relates to her parents that I wouldn't love. <laughs> like, that's the part I would be like, hey, no, that's not okay. But it really comes with like experience and interpretation where you start to get into, I would consider like more complicated territory and less entertainment. Like you're saying more Mm -hmm. health class video Mm -hmm. type of content where again, if I'm going to watch this with our daughter, we're watching it together and we're maybe going to like talk about it a little bit afterwards. It's open-ended enough to be like, is, were they saying this? Mm-hmm. Is it can are we interpreting interpreting it this way when really maybe they didn't mean that at all? Yeah, but it's hard to not be like, eh, well, no. Well, and I want to acknowledge, like on the front end, again, not having a teenager, that I imagine the line between letting your teenager make decisions for themselves oh, yeah. and you setting expectations for like what they can and cannot do yeah. has got to be impossible to figure out how you make those decisions. Yeah. Like I our, I watched our parents struggle with us to figure that out. I know we're going to struggle figuring mm-hmm. that out. It seems like an impossible ask. Right. Yeah. So I get that, but then the movie seemed like at the very end, it just quickly landed on, like Maymay says, I have responsibilities. As long as I do those at home, I can do whatever I want. Right, yeah. And that is a very particular like uh, place for parents to land that not everyone will or should land there. Yeah. Like, we're not going to land there. I, as, I mean, that's 11 years away, but yeah. I do not expect us to land in that same spot. So that to me just was like, I don't know. It was weird. I didn't like it. 
Yeah, just like complex yeah. messaging there. Yeah, and it it did feel like it was sort of telling you exactly how like a parent should relate to the teenager. Mm. Um, and out of the two who needed to change, it was saying the parent was the only one who needed right. to change. Yeah. Oh, and that kind of reminds me, going back to the derivative thing, this does touch so much on generational trauma, which I think was done way better in Encanto. Oh, yeah. Oh, so much better. Yeah. Because they explored it. They actually, like, right. fleshed it out and, yeah. like, went through, like, Mirabelle and then yeah. her mom Definitely. and aunts and then, or uncle and aunts, and then... Her grandmother, yeah. you experienced, like, you really got to dig into it. So, again, it was just done better in another movie. Yeah. Yeah. Jared brought up a good point when we were talking. Like, if you're gonna have a movie about an eighth grade girl, this is a great way to portray yeah. it. Turning into a red panda. Yeah, yeah. It's just a weird subject to pick. Like, you know, it's a, like. Yeah. And also, to me, it felt like a. Uh, a worse version of Inside Out? Well, so when Andy and I were at Salt, Pete Doctor was the one who wrote and directed Inside Out, and he was talking about, Pete Doctor was talking about, you know, people have asked him if he would ever make a sequel, and he's like, well, Riley was about to be a teenager, so probably not. <laughs> like, right. Like, yeah. we don't want to see that sequel right. of Inside so Out. It feels it's like going to be like, uncomfortable. This is like a fun movie, but we, we've picked this weird subject. So... We've gone off a lot on <laughs> on all that interpret really interpretation stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah. Andy, was there anything else that you didn't like about this movie? Um, I think for me, it just kind of felt scattered, like the movie yeah. did, mm-hmm. and that's that like one of the main things I didn't like about it. Besides the weird messaging interpretation thing, um, was just the the feeling of it being scattered, like not a complete thought to me. Mm. So yeah. yeah, that's one thing mm-hmm. I just was like, oh, this kind of feels off. And like a like a afterthought kind of movie. All right, so lingering questions. Let's talk about lingering questions. Did you guys have any for this movie? Um, uh, no. I had a question. Why was Ming so large? Um, and why is the why are the pandas oh. different sizes? Yeah, that's a great. That's question. a great. That's question. a really good question. I I've, I feel like that should be explored. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I thought they'd be all the same size. So that's that's my assumption. And then when his when her dad was like, she was huge. I thought he meant like, just the same size. But no. Right. <laughs> that was wrong. red pandas are small, but my lingering question is, what now? May May chooses to become the red panda like permanently. Yeah. Um, now what? Because, to me, like, what feels like was it going to happen... Let's think about the timeline. It's 2002. She's 13. It's 2002. So we're about to get social media. We're about to get YouTube. Um, this girl's about to have her life wrecked by international fame. She's about to become basically a teen celebrity because she can turn into this red panda. And she clearly is comfortable, like, using that to make money. So... I was thinking about all the Disney Channel original stars whose lives have been wrecked by being a part of Disney Channel. I was like, that's about to be her path. We're about to watch her go down the child star path. That feels inevitable to me for the timeline. Yes, I didn't. I was like, what what happens now? And I guess that's why you end the movie there. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, that's why. Someone did ask Domi Shi recently if she would do a Turning Red 2, which I was like, no. No one needs that. No. Uh, And she was like, maybe. And I was like, no. Yikes. 
do something else. Like, yeah, let's leave this story and go find another one. Mm-hmm. I want to before we go to our rating. I do want to say this movie has gotten some interesting feedback, some interesting reception. It's only been out for three days now, but the critically, this movie is a, a huge success. Like, it has a 95 on Rotten Tomatoes. That score is computed from, like, verified movie critics. So these are, like, the people who, like, they know movies. And in that group, this movie is excelled. But the audience score for this movie is 69, which is the by far the biggest discrepancy between what the critics thought and what the average person thought in any Pixar movie. I clicked through every single one of them. And all of them are in within 10 points of each other. And this one's about 30 points different. Wow. So, I, I mean, I do think that's interesting. It makes me think that the way that this movie w- took risks, the way that it was kind of risque, really appealed to the, like, critic crowd, but has not landed quite as well on just the av- everyday crowd. Yeah. yeah. And I would not even say the everyday crowd. I would say, like, the Disney Pixar crowd. Yeah, you know, right. like that's a good point. It's soon, it's close. So, like, if you're watching this, you're probably a Disney or Pixar fan. I mean, yeah. I texted some of my friends, and they're like, "Wait, it just came out. We haven't watched it." Yeah, you know, like where we were like Friday night, we gotta watch it. Let's get to our rating. We had a tricky time rating this movie. Mm-hmm. I will say, Andy did not get input on what we rated the movie. So I'm curious, Andy, to see if you would say the same thing. <laughs> Jill and I rated this movie. Wait for Disney Plus, which is uh, which is about medium. It's about a C. It's about a C uh, grade. Wait for Disney Plus. Now we would have lowered it, Mm -hmm. but our next rating down is babysitter movie, which means I do not want my children watching this with a babysitter. Yeah, that's right. The babysitter movie is like the movie that the babysitter just turns on to placate the children while the parents are gone, and this is like not that. This is not that. Yeah, but I also. I don't want to lock in the vault. That's her lowest rating. Yeah. It's not garbage. So, by default, yeah, it's, it's decent. it gets a C. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. It goes... Okay, good. Yeah, good. Andy's in, in agreement. Wait for Disney+. Plus. Which we did. Which, which we it's did. like... <laughs> we watched it, and I was like, yeah, it was a good call just to put this out there on Disney+. Plus. Sorry. Yeah, that's a bummer. I feel the same way. I I was really sad for all the artists who worked on this movie yeah. when it was announced it was not going to go to theater, as they had previously said, but it was only going to be on Disney+. Plus, and it wasn't even going to be Premier Access, meaning everyone could watch it for free. I just felt sad for Pixar, because this is the third movie that this has happened to. We'll see what happens with Lightyear here in the summer. But then we watched it, and I was like, that mm-hmm. was probably the right call, call. Because... Again, critically, it's doing great, but I don't think audiences are going to love this movie. I don't think that if they had put it in theater that it would have done very well. Like, subtract COVID and the pandemic, I just don't think it would have done very well in the box office. And that by itself would have tarnished Pixar's reputation as being this excellent studio. So I think from yeah. like a business and marketing perspective, yeah. Yeah. It was the right call, guys. I mean, it absolutely I hate that. makes sense. Because also, like, the box office in general is not doing well right now just because of COVID. No. And, like, it was already on the decline before COVID happened. But then COVID happened, and then the box office just started going down and down and down. 
but now you're Disney and you have this new Pixar movie coming out and you're like, it's not going to be very good. Do I release it to theaters or to Disney Plus? And the smart move is the one they made, which is just to Disney Plus. Like, that was just the way to go. I really hope that Pixar returns to the theater. I hope that Lightyear goes to theater. Um, Disney has said that they have three more Pixar films in production right now. One will come out next June, so we do have to wait a little over a year. We'll have Lightyear in June, and then we'll have another one in June, June, the next year. And then a March and a June. And then a March and a June. So we got some more movies coming down. We don't know what those are. We're hoping they're originals. We don't know. Um, And, I mean, I don't know. There's a risk that they're all going to be streaming. There's, I've seen online Screen Rant posted an article saying that they thought that Disney was turning Pixar into a Disney Plus content house. Mm. And that That's makes me so, so sad. sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. But in order to get to that box office... That Disney animation. <laughs> I know. In order to get to the box office, though, it's got to be exceptional for audiences. Yeah. It's, you know, and so... Turning red, I don't think it's that. Yeah, definitely so, not. But uh, I will say though, all, all that said, I think Domi she is a genius. Yeah, I think yeah. she's yeah, I so think she's talented. Great. The short film she did, I can't even watch without. I know. Yeah, if you haven't seen Bow, it's also free on Disney Plus. Yeah, it's too much. It's it's yeah. way too much. It's so good, but well, also so touching. And, oh yeah, it's so good. Yeah, and again, he, you know, props to Disney Pixar, like. So the process of how this movie even got greenlit was Domishi, storyboard artist, then she has this idea for Bao, this short film. She does not have a lot of time to work on it, so it actually took two years, three years to make. It's the longest that any of their short films have taken, just because she didn't have time to make it. And then when she got it finished, and the, the Pixar execs, the Disney execs, they saw it first, they were like, oh my gosh, like we want to give you a feature-length film and see what you could do with that. And they asked her, bring us your top three ideas. And so all of her ideas were related to puberty and, like, going through that time. And so they, you know, kind of landed on the Red Panda idea. But, you know, there aren't many places when you're in a multi-billion dollar company where you have a 26-year-old who, you know, has had one idea and you go, you know what, what do you want? Ask for it, and I will give it to you. I'm going to give you the platform to make what you want to make. Um, she's, I think, 31, 32 now. Uh, so, you know, extraordinarily talented. It's really cool that she's been giving this opportunity. And I hope to see more of those kinds of artists given the chance to make these films. But, you know, this just wasn't the film for us. Yeah. No. Yeah. was it? Andy, thanks for joining us today. Oh, yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. Yeah, hopefully we'll have you on an episode again soon. We'll see you for a light year, maybe. Oh, (laughs) that's true. That'll be a good one, hopefully. We'll see. Great. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully.